And I mean, like, everyone's trying to tell me their issues, and I'm like, bitch, can you just cue up my drum? Welcome to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Harmony. And I'm Maggie. And we're here to take an intersectional, feminist approach to books from all over the spectrum. Bestsellers, we've got you covered. That one book from English class you hated while you read but you can't forget? We've got that too. Comic books? Nonfiction? It's all right here. So grab your tea, grab your blanket, and let's get rebellious about your favorite new reads. Hello, I am Harmony, and, and today... No, wait, 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 oh, I want to oh, introduce it! <laughs> In case you haven't noticed, by, by our clusterfuck of a introduction, I have with me someone very special who has gone away for so long and left me lonely and um, left me soliloquying, soliloquying by myself on air for the past three months so with no further waiting because i can speak english i welcome sup bitches i'm back (laughs) not that i ever like really went totally away i mean if you i i've had small episodes but harmony and i haven't done this together in a hot sec actually in a really hot sec too because we were on break before that so it's been a, a long time since we've recorded together which for all of you listening means that no judgments on how this goes <laughs> yes we've been having very academic episodes over in just harmony land now we're gonna go back into something completely different and this is going to be a very very chill episode because it's the week before Halloween and Maggie and I have already recorded an episode today and we're tired. (laughs) Yeah uh, we're both sort of low-key dying so bear with us. We're gonna talk about a book that we both read recently-ish and really really loved The Once and Future Witches by Alex E. Harrow who also wrote The Thousand Doors of January and we're just going to have some fun. Everyone deserves a little bit of fun in their lives. Harmony and I are reuniting. It's just one of those days. Yes, yes, yay. Oh, I'm so excited. All right, so before we get into the episode, Maggie, I think listeners would like to know how you are, where you are, what's going on in your life. We've missed you. I've missed you. I've missed you guys too. It's been really weird not being in the groove of podcast. Those mini episodes are way different than our typical format, which I'm sure that if you've been listening, you've picked up on. I'm much better than I was when this season started. There were some health scares in my family that were really serious over the summer. And also just to be honest with you, a lot of life happening, you know, some of it was good. Some of it was really bad. And I just needed a little bit of a break. But I'm better now work has calmed down. And I feel like I can come back to you all my usual occasionally smart, but mostly goofy self. So happy to be here. Yay! Wonderful. Thank you, Maggie. All right. So today we're kind of talking about and I say kind of because I think that this is going to be a kind of goofy episode. (laughs) (laughs) The Once in Future Witches, as Maggie introduced. And this is a book that is about three sisters. One happens to be a librarian, just like me, which is super cool. One happens to get pregnant and one happens to be a virgin. So we have a mother maiden crone thing going on and they are in this alternate history where 
suffrage rights happen to coincide with witch trials. And, yes. And that's my that's my summary. So they have to fight patriarchy and witch trials at the same time. And also they're magical and cool. And there's a magical library. Yes, that's an excellent summary of the situation. This is a really, I think, moving story about three sisters who have been estranged, essentially because, I mean, because of the patriarchy, but because their father used tools of the patriarchy to divide them and turn them against each other. And they, as adults, kind of randomly come back to each other. And it's all about them forming, reforming their bonds while also fighting for suffrage, while also fighting for witch rights. And it's a heavy book, but it's also really, I don't know, moving, heartwarming. Harmony and I both really loved it. So that's where we're at. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny because you said kind of because of the patriarch or patriarchy, but the patriarch literally used the patriarchy. Yeah, no, it's so true. It's so true. I just feel like it's always so so cliche to be like, well, the patriarchy did this to them. But in this book, it's just so clear about how their father isolated and manipulated all three of these girls to divide their power, which is just, it's the umbrella. It's the, the tools of the umbrella. Okay. And along those lines, I think that it is time for us. So we're going to still be using Harmony segments because I want to see Maggie's reaction to these segments. I think it is time. For our next segment, please hold while I pull it up. It might take me a hot second. Kevin's going to have such a fun time editing this. I am on a great pilgrimage of truth. Fun is subsumed by revelation. Hi, Kevin! Hello, Maggie. (laughs) All right, all right, are you ready? So it's time for our next segment. Academia. Academia. Do, Do you recognize that voice, Maggie? I don't, actually. Who is it? Is it me? It's not you. It's not you. <laughs> it's somebody It's somebody you often get confused with. Is it Kate? It is Kate. Who, by the way, gave me this book. It's true. She did. She did. So for today's academia, we're going real light and real non-academic with a Guardian article. It's a good Guardian article, though. It is a good Guardian article. The Guardian can be academic, but you know, this is news versus generally I'm quoting from articles that no one has access to unless you're in a research institution, which is really pretentious of me. So this article is by Zoe Williams, and it's called Feminist Solidarity Empowers Everyone. The Movement Must Be Trans Inclusive. I chose this article because right now there is a lot going on, as there has been for the past few years, in terms of feminism and TERFs, or trans-exclusionary radical feminists. Most recently, Dave Chappelle made some controversial statements in which she was like, I support TERFs. I don't think he really knows what he was talking about. It's kind of sad. We're not going to talk too much about that. But this is a really great article that outlines why trans people in particular are important for the feminist movement. And the reason I wanted to bring it to your attention bring it to everyone's attention is because this book deals a lot with solidarity. If there is any big theme throughout this book, I think that solidarity is it. It's all about covens and sisterhood and women sticking together. And the the type of women that are depicted in this book are really diverse. There is an array and it's not just women who are coming to the front and coming to the call. There are also men who also have magic and who 
are oppressed by their class. And so they too are stepping up and doing what they need to do to make sure that everyone has a voice and that no one is marginalized. That's right. That's correct. Something that at the end of the article that William says that really struck me and I feel like is, I think, indicative of why solidarity matters is she's talking about other acts of solidarity that have occurred in feminism throughout history. And she says, none of this was settled in science. There was no definitive treaty that we all signed. We just slowly decided that binary debates are interesting to have, but boring to live. Solidarity is boring to talk about, but fascinating and empowering to live. Solidarity is not exclusive or pedantic. It's compassionate and fights oppression where it finds it. That is its lifeblood. And I think to me, I don't know, it was at the end of the article, right? It's the call to action. But for me, it really worked as the call to action. And I think especially sometimes in feminism, which this is ironic because we're a feminist podcast where, you know, a lot of what we do is is have debates. But it's so true. Sometimes the stuff you talk about academically or whatever is sort of kind of interesting to talk about. But what's interesting to live is a life of solidarity, is a life where you're exposed to and talking to people of all different backgrounds, is a life where you're genuinely fighting for rights for everybody and where you're aligning your values with the people who are most marginalized in your society. And I feel like that's something that Alex Harrow does really, really well in this book is to say that that's the core value of what feminism is. But also that can be really hard work. It takes time to build relationships. It takes time to examine yourself, think critically about your own biases. Solidarity, especially on an individual level, doesn't necessarily happen overnight. And this book looks at solidarity, I think, on two different levels, because it looks at it on the individual level of we've got three main characters who have to find solidarity as sisters among themselves before they can start doing other work. But also on a movement level, talking about the suffragists, talking about the witches, talking about two disparate communities who have this commonality, but it takes a long time for them to find that commonality and to say that this commonality is what is more important than the things that make us different from each other. That's really interesting. And you're you're completely correct. I think when I'm thinking about this book, some of the things it does in order to demonstrate solidarity beyond just fighting for women's rights have to do a lot with aspects that I wouldn't think relate as much to witchcraft. They take all of the factory workers and they start trying to build, because one of the main characters works in a factory setting with other women, and they start to build solidarity among the factory workers who, until people start fighting in their community, until people start talking about witchcraft and women's rights, aren't really talking to each other at all. Another thing that struck me in this book was the fact that there is a difference in this book between men's magic and women's magic. Men's magic is also used in terms of fighting for solidarity. It's often used when they're, again, fighting for workers' rights, because that's a separate movement that's going on in different parts of the country in this book. And there's also a really interesting conversation that's happening in the witchcraft community in this book between the black witches versus the white suffragists and what's going on there. In the beginning, the black suffragists come in to see what the white suffragists are going to do. And they know that they don't want any part of that. And there's all these different types of magics and all of these different types of communities. I think they even bring up indigenous magics at some point. 
and they have conversations about things like closed practices. The beautiful thing is that you can have those closed practices and those insular communities, but still be willing to give something and still understand how you can lend your voice to support other movements and causes. The book does a really good job of dissecting why those movements and causes are important to everyone's equality and equitable treatment for everyone. No, I I think it really does. And I think something else that the book does that's really important is that one of the witches, Cleopatra, talks to the more white dominated group of witches and suffragists and says, you have to understand that whatever you're going through is awful. But because me and my group of witches are black, we're always going to be feeling things racially as well. We're always going to be dealing with things that are outside of just being women or being witches. These things are all interconnected. You can't just separate them out and section them out and say, we're just going to fight for this aspect, right? Because everybody is a whole human with all parts of their identity. And I think that it is really important that she pointed that out to the white suffragists, because I think that often that's sometimes the missing link in solidarity to say, well, you know, we're, we're X thing. Our, our Venn diagram comes together at this place. So we should all just be fighting for this thing. But in actuality, you have to fight for somebody's whole humanity, their whole identity, because people, and, and no one does section themselves off. You just are who you are. I don't know if that makes sense. I have had way too much coffee before recording this. (laughs) That's okay. We're not eloquent this podcast. Sorry, Kevin. (laughs) I promise we were doing better. I am flush with an exalted sense of self. I have no earthly tethers. Yeah, no, I think it does make sense. Another thing that really strikes me as you were saying that is that all three of these sisters in the beginning start off in a very isolated place. And I think we open with Juniper, who is the youngest sister and who is the most isolated because she's literally on the run from the law. But her other two sisters don't really have, even though they have lives, they don't really have relationships built into those lives. And As the book progresses and as we get to learn more about people, people they wouldn't have liked or interacted with become important parts of their lives. And suddenly they they each have this huge community and they have multiple loving relationships. And I think that kind of speaks to this this aspect of solidarity that the book is playing with. I think that that it's a really good point, though, because one of the quotes that really stuck to me from the book is a girl is such an easy thing to break, weak and fragile, all alone, all yours. But they aren't girls anymore. And they don't belong to anyone. And they aren't alone. And I think that it really goes to show that there's power in numbers, there's powers in community, right in genuine relationships. This book, I think still would have been interesting if it was just the story of Juniper and Agnes and Bella coming back together and reforming their sisterhood. But what makes it really good and really special is those community bonds is that interconnection. And I think too, it's interesting because Juniper is the most isolated, but she's also the most radicalized from the beginning. She's the one who really, even as they're reconnecting, she's the one who's pushing their sisters to say, this is good, but we can do better. We have to take these teachings. We have to go out into the community. We have to really push. And it takes a lot for her to get Bella and Agnes on board with that, who are just trying to live their lives with essentially the least amount of violence possible. And they're kind of skating through like that. And they're all about survival, keeping their heads down. And Juniper is really the one who has to push them often. And she shows a lot of leadership skills. And I think one of the things she has to hone throughout the book is 
communication about why these issues matter, as well as her leadership skills to also listen and learn and be able to incorporate multiple points of view into her thoughts, which is something we all have to do. But she really goes on a journey with that that I feel like is really important. Yeah. So relating this back to our article, (laughs) real quickly, I think one of the important things and one of the reasons this article was so important as a call of action for feminists to keep in mind is that our experiences are not monolithic. And it's okay to have different people of different experiences in our community. They already exist, but we need to work hard to acknowledge them and also fight for them. Because if we don't, then it makes it okay to oppress any of us, right? Once you take one person's humanity away, you you make it acceptable to take anyone's humanity away. Did you get something different, Maggie? No, that was very much what I was getting from the article. And I think, too, it's important to be really vocal and speak up about that. Part of the reason that Williams was writing the article was because she hadn't talked about trans issues in for, I think she says, seven years. And that's something that she owns up to in the article and says, you know, like, I was I was wrong about that. I think that's something that I've really been seeing in a lot of the books we're reading that I'm seeing this article is that to create true solidarity, it's not enough to just utilize one avenue of activism. You have to use your voice, but you also have to take direct action and you also have to build relationships. And all of these things together are what create true solidarity. So I think that going through life in silence and silently disagreeing with something isn't isn't particularly useful. But at the same time, if all you're doing is vocally being, I don't disagree, I don't agree with that, that's also not enough. And I think that in a journey of solidarity, Actions speak louder than words. They're important together, but that was also, I think, what I got from the article. And I think the other thing I got from the article was an idea that you have to think in a really nuanced way about erasure. Williams points out the fact that this weird binary debate that's happening that's really, really harmful in the feminist community completely erases trans men's experiences and kind of pushes them off to the side when, of course, their voices should also be central in both discussions about trans rights and also feminism. Those, I think, were some of the main takeaways I pulled out of the article. That's really interesting that you highlighted the the fact that it erases trans men's experiences. Because before we move on, recently I was talking to a friend about this who works at Netflix. So she's been dealing with the backlash from Dave Chappelle. And I've been watching her fight online with other people about Dave Chappelle's comments towards trans people. And one of the things that struck me was how people who were defending trans rights and people who were defending Dave Chappelle both kind of erased the experiences of Black trans people and even just like Black LGBTQ people in general. And I think that's, I I don't know, that that's just like the big the big sin for me i think about dave chappelle's comments because as we know black trans women in particular are the most vulnerable group of people in the lgbtq plus community they experience so much violence and there is already some erasure of black gayness so it was interesting to see even people who were pushing back against dave chappelle's comments just completely erase the identities of an entire group of people. I think that's really interesting. I think that it goes to show that 
that's where words matter to me because you have to specifically highlight and honor somebody's identity. And I think that when you say, you know, when you use more generalized language to say even just trans rights in general, it's any trans individual could also have multiple other aspects of their identity and that really relate to this issue. And I think that when we boil things down to their essence to that one part of the diagram and we're not seeing the whole we have to be really careful about using super specific language to avoid doing that yeah thank you and I think to relate it back to the book I think that Harrow does do a good job of showing us the need for specificity in depicting so many different types of experiences even if it's minor characters who we don't get to spend much time with they're still there and even if their experiences aren't highlighted for us right away, they eventually become highlighted as the characters learn more about them. I think that's important when we're talking about solidarity to kind of go back to the different types of magics. It's important to honor different individuals' differences and to bring them into their community and recognize those differences and also to recognize which parts of their experiences you can't lay claim to. But we need to, when we're building solidarity, still be able to allow a oneness within that. We can be different and together. Yeah, I think that that makes that really resonates with me. I think too, especially thinking about equity versus equality, so to speak. I think that that's a really key aspect of that because I think that in solidarity, something that it calls on the individual to do is really think about where you do have power in society and be able to recognize when you do have privilege, even if you are part of an overarching underprivileged, underserved group. Being able to have that kind of self-reflection is really important when bringing other people of other communities into a group because you're able to acknowledge in order to solve this problem for all of us, in order to create this togetherness, there's going to be different steps that maybe we need to take for this aspect of our community or this aspect of our community that might not necessarily directly benefit me in the specific moment when this law passes, but is for the greater good to be creating a society that honors different but togetherness. Yeah. Okay, I think I'm done with academia. Are you done with academia? Yeah, I'm done with academia. I think that I accidentally moved on from academia like 15 minutes ago. But you know, it is what it is. It's fine. This is this is fine. All right, I'm ready for our next segment. I'm gonna make you guess again. But please hold while I pull it up. Okay, so now we're moving back into a segment called Which Bitch. Where I take something magical and try to apply it to the book. Or we take something magical and try and apply it to the book. Maggie, who do you think that was? Oh, dear God. Is this also somebody that we yes. Like, know? Yes, this is somebody we, you know as well. Oh, gosh. Oh, I don't know. Is that Kevin? Sayeth the true name thrice on a godless eve and you can hire me for your birthday party. It is indeed. It is indeed. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. So for this this segment, I decided it would be fun because, you know, it's going to be Halloween and I'm a witch. So <laughs> I decided that we should do some bibliomancy, which is where we think of a question and then we open up the text and we let our finger just kind of wander without looking. And then wherever our finger lands, we try to make meaning of that text. So Maggie, I'm happy to workshop this question with you. But I was thinking perhaps we could do something based off of solidarity. 
how can we start building solidarity and how can maybe we and our listeners start building solidarity into our lives? Do you want to help me workshop that a little? No, I like it. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. And Maggie doesn't have a text, so I'll be the one bibliomancing, but we'll figure out our meanings together. All right, here we go. How can we start building solidarity into our lives? All right, I've landed on the word still, period. Oh. What do you what do you make of that? I think that it's a reminder that there's no end to this process, right? I think as in all quests for justice, you're there's always going to be a still. There's always going to be more. There's no end of this road where you just like achieved solidarity, you get your gold star. And I think as well, it reminds me of the fact that sometimes it's important to take a moment to be still, to do some of the reflection work that we were just talking about. And that that process also can't just happen once. You know, you have to find moments of stillness in your life to be able to reflect and continue to move forward in the work that you want to do to create the change that you want to see in the world. Wow, that's a beautiful reading. I had a very different reaction when I saw the word still. I thought of actual stillness, which seems antithetical to solidarity. But I think for me as a person, is something I always kind of need to remind myself of to be still to just be. And I think in terms of solidarity work, that relates a lot to just listening. Look at the world around you and listen so that you can create space and hold space for different experiences. Do you want to try again with that same question and then maybe we can try another? Yeah, that sounds fun. Okay, so how how can we and our listeners start building solidarity into our lives? Let's see. <laughs> What'd you get? Um, I got vomit in her throat. <laughs> <laughs> and then also the word juniper. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Do you want to take a stab at that or you want me to try? I mean, I'll, t- I'll try. Okay, so first and foremost, please don't try and build solidarity by vomiting in somebody else's throat. <laughs> uh, I'm assuming, though, that the, the context of that phrase was probably a moment of sickness for the person who's experiencing the vomit. <laughs> I don't think we're supposed to consider context. I don't know if that's a bibliomancy uh, sin. <sighs> you, bro, you gotta give me something to work with. <laughs> I would say at its most basic level, I think that sometimes the injustices in the world can make you feel sick. I think that sometimes they can move you to feel physically ill. I have a problem where when I get too anxious, I do vomit. And sometimes that does happen when I consider the large injustices in the world of just oh my god, it can feel so terrible out there. And I think that you have to, I think related to stillness, like you have to hold space for that feeling of of being overwhelmed. But then you still have to charge forward. You have to move past the vomit in your throat. You've got to sort of purge it all out and then move forward in your work. Okay. I think that's as good as I'm going to get with that phrase. Do you have anything you want to add for Juniper? I mean, it's hard because she's the main character and she's a flower. Look at the flowers. Take a moment, you know, really just, (laughs) I don't know. I think I had a similar reading. So I think I started with the word Juniper when I was trying to figure this out. And Juniper is such a, for me, she's a character I really resonate with because 
I feel like I have a lot of anger. And she's a really angry spitfire character. She is the gruff rogue type. And when I read vomit in her throat, for me, that felt like bile. And so I think when I'm thinking of solidarity, and again, this is a very harmony reading, I think it kind of similar to you in terms of holding space. For me, it was more like holding onto that anger and transforming it into something powerful. I don't think that we necessarily need to let go of our anger unless it's actively harming us. I think that there's a lot of place for anger in the world. And I mean, obviously, we need to be careful to not let our anger harm others unless we're trying to defend ourselves. (laughs) But anger comes about usually for a reason. It's because we feel as though our boundaries have been trampled on in some way or we're being disrespected. And I think that when we're thinking about solidarity, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to let ourselves feel that and let ourselves harness the power that it gives. Yeah, I can see that. I think that it's it's it, it almost reminds me of the idea of purging what's not serving you anymore and holding on to what is. And I think that person to person, sometimes that's different. You know, if your anger is harming you or, or makes you want to harm others. You should probably let that go. But for others, it is a really powerful tool to use to activate their work. My anxiety does not serve me in the work that I do. So I got to purge that and I got to let that go. But my anger also does serve me in the appropriate context. So I think it's about identifying, identify what serves you and let go of what doesn't, which is obviously easier said than done, but is a useful set of practices to think about. I agree. I agree. All right. Do you want to craft another question? Just one more. And then we'll do this one more time. And then we'll move on to the next segment, which is the personal is political. Yeah, let's think about another question. Oh, sorry. Am I supposed to be helping? All right. Well, let's think about Halloween. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I'm just thinking. All right. So we're, we're, I've been put on the spot. We're reading the Once and Future Witches. It's almost Halloween time. So maybe we can think about how uh, we can use our power productively because we all know that Halloween is hype with witchy power. And according to this book, everyone's a witch. We all have the ability. Sounds good to me. <laughs> How can we appropriately use our power? Tell us the once in future witches. Let's see. Okay, so I have two that seem very different. Are you ready? Yeah. In all caps, found dead, period. And then the next one is read the article, comma. Okay, those are interesting. Do you want to go first this time? Okay, sure. Yeah. So let's start with found dead. To me, this seems like a call to action. We've been talking a lot about solidarity. We've been talking specifically about trans lives. We touched on the fact that Black trans women are disproportionately affected by violence towards trans people or towards people in general. And so for me, that kind of read like a news headline. And I think that it reminded me of the protests that we had in early 2020 for all of the Black people that have been murdered by police. So it was kind of like an alarm bell. So I think that when we're thinking about how to use our power, perhaps this found dead serves as a pointer towards, look, people are being harmed, and maybe we need to direct our power towards that very alarming news headline Or even if there isn't a news headline, we should be alarmed by this violence. And that's where we need to direct our power to. Read the article contains something very different for me. 
as you all know by this point, I'm a former journalist, a current librarian, or soon-to-be librarian. Oh, actually, you know what? Maybe it does relate. Read the article. So maybe when you see something alarming like this, you need to do your due diligence. You need to look into it and read about it and make yourself witness that violence so that you can actually take action towards it. I don't know. No, I I think that that was really good. I like that. I think that for me, this relates to a question that I've been holding, especially in my workspace, but really in my whole life, which is trying to evaluate when I do X thing, who's benefited by that? Who's harmed by that? Trying to take stock of the consequences of our actions, which I feel like sounds like a no-duh thing, but I think especially when you're doing work for solidarity can actually be more complicated because even if you're coming at something with bad intentions if you're misinformed if you haven't read the article i mean we talk about it all the time good intentions don't absolve you from negative consequences or the harm that you've perpetuated onto somebody else by taking that action so i think to me it's kind of a reminder to be constantly taking stock of where the harm is to own up to that harm and to also be fighting for the people who are most harmed by our patriarchal hierarchical society and make sure that your actions are protecting them and not continuing to perpetuate that harm. And I think that for me, read the article fits into that because you've got to be informed. I think it's kind of complicated because of course, reading articles and, and doing a lot of that work, I think is an easy way for people to say that they're doing work when in actuality, they're still sort of in that prep phase of trying to get a more clear view of what's happening. And it can stall them out from actually taking action. But it's important to be informed before you do take action. So I would say that for me, that's, that's how we can be using our power, right, is to make sure that we're informed as possible. We take our action. And then afterwards, we unpack that action, we say, did this have the intention that I thought it did? who was harmed by it, who was benefited from it, and make sure that you're including the people who are at highest risk for harm in your evaluation of all of those things. I agree. And I think to your point that sometimes just reading the article is what people take for their action. I think the comma there is important because the comma implies to me that there is more that can be done. But the book isn't going to tell us what that more is. We have to read the article and then we have to decide for ourselves. And I think that Maggie has highlighted some some good action steps that we can take when we're deciding what ne- action needs to be taken or some good considerations we can take, right? We should be considering who is being harmed, what the best method is to help those that are harmed, because it shouldn't be about us. It should be about those that are found dead or those who have survived the people that are found dead. We need to evaluate where our power is most beneficially used. Yeah. And I think too, it's also a reminder to read the article also reminds me of the fact sometimes some of the most powerful actions you can take is shutting up and making space. And I think that that can sometimes be confused for just being silent about an issue. Those are two different things in my mind, but it's about redirecting energy to the people who are being directly affected by this, but also I think actively amplifying their work. To me, I think a lot of the times that's what making space is, is to say, you know, my opinion here doesn't really matter, but I'm in a space where I have the power to highlight all of these people who are directly affected by this. This is what they have to say. 
this is where you should be going. To me, I think that's sometimes a, a large part of stepping out of a space and trying to recenter others into the middle of it. All right. Do we want to move on to our last segment? Yeah. So Kevin, insert the personal is political here. The personal is political. And Maggie, that's a robot voice, so I'm not going to have you guess. This is the segment where we relate what we've just talked about in terms of the text to our own lives. So Miss Maggie, how does solidarity, as it's portrayed in The Once and Future Witches, relate to your own life? What are you going to take away from this? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. I think that for me, what I'm going to take away from it is leaning into my own tendencies for relationship building as a way to build community and build solidarity. I think that's something I'm pretty good at. I mean, I'm sure Harmony will tell me if I'm wrong. She knows me pretty well. But I think that's something that I am good at is sometimes forging bonds with new people and being able to make myself vulnerable in a way that makes other people feel like they can sometimes open up back. So I think that I really want to create solidarity by continuing to forge new relationships and new bonds and then trying to sort of build a community after that. Because if everything stems out for me, I'm still centering myself and that's no good. But if I'm able to sort of take that, I don't know, tendency that I have and help to bridge and create new connections, then we're talking about community where I'm not the center or the focal point of it. I'm just kind of using a skill that I have to to create new bonds or help facilitate new bonds. I love that. That's beautiful, Maggie. Thanks. I think for me, what I'm going to take, I think I'm kind of stuck as listeners who have been listening closely might be able to tell. And kind of the Agnes and Bella start of the novel place where, you know, I've just, I've got all this other stuff going on in my life or I've got something going on in my life. And it's really hard for me to commit to anything outside of that, right? I just need to focus on myself. But that's not going to help me become a better person, A, (laughs) right? Just like it doesn't help Agnes and Bella. B, it's not really the best use of my power. So I think what I need to do is challenge myself to consider other voices more and also to be more receptive towards attempts at community building. And I need to start making more of those attempts. I'm going to be slightly forgiving towards myself because like there is only so much one person can do and it is hard when you've got so much on your plate. (laughs) Maggie's laughing because she's like, yeah, I know what you're going through. (laughs) Um, But in whatever small ways I can, I need to be mindful of the community that I'm building. So anything that I put out there, I should be mindful of who it's going to affect and how it's going to affect my various communities and make sure that I'm using my power to help promote the voices that need the most help being promoted. All right. Well, I think that's it. What are we doing next week, Maggie? Do you remember? We're on a break. I have the overview up. We're on a break next week. And then the week after that, your We Are Bridges interview is coming out. So RGBC schedule is a little wonky in some ways, my friends, for the next couple of weeks in that I'm back for this episode. And then for the next couple, I'm sort of Uh, in and out, shall we say, just depending on the order of recording things. But that's what you can expect is a break and then a really wonderful author interview about a book called We Are Bridges. Yes, we have a lot of authors interviews coming up. So that's exciting. All right. Well, I think that's it for now, folks. We will see you, I guess not next week. We'll see you the week after. Indeed. Goodbye. Bye.
don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite podcatcher app. You can support this podcast by going to anchor.fm slash RGBC and clicking the support this podcast button. Our episode schedule can be found in our show notes or by going to our website, rebelgirlsbook.club and clicking read along with the show. You can follow us at RGBCpod on Instagram, at Rebel Girls Book Club on Facebook, at Rebel Girls Book One on Twitter, and you can email us at rebelgirlsbookclub at gmail.com. Our theme song is called Pretty Boys Make Me Feel Ugly, and it's by The Gays. See you soon, and remember to read rebelliously. Rebel Girls Book Club is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.